This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The headline came from the Israeli National News, Arut Sheva. The world will never be the same again after October 7th. Well, that is true. Very much like the world would never be again the same after the 9-11 attacks by 19 renegade Islamic terrorists. So the world would never again be the same after October 7th. So what's going to happen? What is happening? What can be foretold? Well, from the Jerusalem Post came this headline, 40 Days of War, the Regional and Global Ramifications. 40 Days of War in Gaza has been a major game-changer in the region. The war, which began with Hamas's surprise attack on Israel on October 7th, has led to unprecedented levels of violence and major potential strategic changes. Hamas rose to power in the late 1980s and 1990s, offering to the Palestinian public a more extreme position with its roots of the Muslim Brotherhood. It rode a wave of extremism in the 1990s in regional groups preying on young people and sought to topple secular regimes as it did with regard to the attack on the World Trade Center towers, the United States Pentagon, and also the attempted attack on the U.S. Capitol. So Hamas was successful in garnering support in Gaza and the West Bank, particularly among students. It used bombings and terror attacks to try to derail the Oslo Peace Accords. And Islamists took advantage of a leadership secular vacuum. That's the way it always is. Nature abhors a vacuum, and evil will fill that vacuum if righteousness does not. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look 40 days after the war began. I hope you'll listen carefully. Because there are many things that we're going to talk about here on Viewpoint, some that others are talking about, others that almost no one is talking about, but are equally important, if perhaps not even more important. As we say regularly on this program, Viewpoint determines destiny, and uh, there is no area in which Viewpoint determines destiny more than with regard to our viewpoint concerning Israel, concerning what is happening with regard to Israel. Now, you and I don't have to agree with everything that Israel says or does, that its leaders say or do, any more than we have to agree with anything and everything that uh, our leaders in the United States uh, purport to do or say. You and I must form our own viewpoints. But how do we do that? Well, we have to form our viewpoints based not upon what we think in and of ourselves, but upon what God has said about what we should think. And therein lies the problem. Because very very few people really know what God says about how we should think concerning issues about Israel and its effect upon the rest of the world. So we're going to take a look at some of those here today on Viewpoint so glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, always, and uh, I'll tell you, our viewpoint, our opinion is of serious import right now. When Hamas declares we want perpetual war with Israel, 
You see, they don't want settlement. They don't want any kind of a ceasefire of reality. They only want a ceasefire that allows them to recuperate and reconstruct their attacks so that they can more successfully continue their attack because their job is never done until, from their viewpoint, they have eradicated Israel and the Jewish people from off the face of the planet, just as Muhammad required in his writings. So today, we continue to take a look at what's happening, the good, bad, and the ugly, and uh, one of the things that uh, I feel was quite good is that <clears throat> close to 300,000 demonstrators gathered in Washington, D.C. yesterday for the March for Israel to demand the release of hostages under Hamas activity and to demonstrate their determination to combat the increasing levels of anti-Semitism since October 7th. According to the organizers, this has been the largest pro-Israel rally in the history of the United States. Now, that's very significant. Why is that significant? Because it still reveals that the United States, in large measure, is on the side of a people, of a nation, that God says he's on the side of. Now, he's not on the side of everything they do and everything that they say, but he is the one who said that he has chosen them as a peculiar people unto himself. He is the one who chose them to be the apple of his eye. He is the one who chose them to be the eternal inhabitants of the land called the land, now called the land of Israel. It was uh, first inhabited or led by Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and given as an eternal leasehold inheritance to their descendants. So, Whose land is it? You see, that's a very big question. Whose land is it? And that's one of the questions that we need to talk about here on the program today because it is an issue that has been brought up now again, not for the first time, but again has been brought up by the recent attack on October 7th. People talk concerning elections about the October surprise. The October surprise, particularly immediately concerning an election. Well, this is an October surprise. It happened, it apparently surprised Israel. Much to our surprise, it surprised Israel. But here's one of the most significant things that we need to consider, and that is the issue of the land. It's called the land of Israel. It's referred to as the promised land, the land that was promised to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, the Muslims, on the other hand, claim that Genesis chapter 12 was re, uh, was inappropriately translated and that instead of Isaac being the son of promise, that Ishmael was to be the son of promise, and therefore all the promises that would have flow, uh, flowed through Abraham to Isaac and then Jacob would actually flow through Ishmael, and therefore they own the land. Now that's a problem, as you can see from the get-go. And what you believe will determine, your viewpoint will determine your destiny. It will determine the actions that you take, the beliefs that you hold, and as you think in your heart, your mouth will speak. 
That's why Islam speaks the way it does. That's why radical Muslims speak the way they do, because it's in their heart. That's what they think. That's what they believe. However true it may be or untrue it may be, it's what they think, and what they think is determining their destiny and the destiny of the world. So again, it returns us to the issue of the land. What does God's Word say about the land? That's what we want to approach when we get back from this break. Again, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's a conversation with ever-increasing conviction. Talk that transforms here on Viewpoint. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Remember, today's battle is for God's land. Whose land? God's land. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. God owns my home. How do I know that? Because he said so. God owns my vehicles. You know how I know? Because he said so. God owns whatever minuscule amounts I might have in the bank to cover our expenses. How do I know that? Because God said so. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. How do I know that? Because God said so. How do I know that God owns the earth and everything in it? Because the the world or the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and everyone that occupies therein. How do I know that? Because God says so. Are you beginning to get the point? So, who owns the land called the land of Israel, the land of promise? God does. How do we know that? We don't know it just because of the generic statements that God has made concerning owning everything. We, uh, we know it because of his specific statements over and over and over again in the Bible concerning who owns the land. He owns the land. For instance, he spoke through Jeremiah and said this uh, to Israel, For the land of Israel, he said, is his land and his inheritance. He said, when he, when admonishing his disobedient people in the days of Jeremiah, quote, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. That is only one illustration in the Bible where God specifically calls the land his land. Now, let me ask you a question. If the Bible is God's, excuse me, if Israel is God's land, then what claim do the Muslims have to it? What claim does the UN have to it? What claim does the EU have to it? What claim does Turkey have to it? What claim do the Muslim nations have to it? 
What claim does anyone have to the land, including the Jewish people? They have no claim to the land except for one thing, and that is God specifically gave them an eternal leasehold interest in the land. A leasehold interest because he didn't contractually give them the land, because it's still his land. Are you beginning to understand? So here's the question that I ask to you. How could you or I ever propose to pressure Israel to give up land that God specifically deeded by an eternal leasehold inheritance to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How could we do that? That would be to disagree with what God has said, wouldn't it? That would be to arrogate our viewpoint over God's viewpoint. Are you prepared to do that? No matter whether you're a liberal or a conservative or an independent, a Democrat or a Republican or whatever you happen to be, are you prepared to do that? You see, the issue is not political liberalism or conservatism. The issue is whether you agree with what God has said, and is he God? And if he's God, you and I have no right or authority or standing to dis or disagree with what he has said. Therefore, the whole concept of trying to get Israel to give up one or more portions of land in order to accomplish an alleged world peace is absolutely ridiculous on its face because it presupposes that we have the authority to overrule what God has said. In fact, the reality is that Israel itself has no right to give up the land. Why? Because God decreed it to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the physical descendants of Ishmael. You can read about there there in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 18, and many other passages. So, this is one of the most important issues that we have to face. After these 40 days of war, you see, it's really not about peace. This war was not about peace. It wasn't about uh, people being disenfranchised, uh, Palestinians being disenfranchised. No, it's a, a war for the land. And that's the reason why Hamas and Hezbollah and uh, uh the Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, Mr. Erdogan, the leader of Turkey, and so on, they all believe that they are entitled to the land. Therefore, they will support any effort, any viewpoint, that supports them gaining the land for themselves. Now, in order to accomplish that, they have to eradicate Israel, that is, the Jewish people. They have to remove them. They have to annihilate them because if they occupy the land, then, by definition, the Muslims don't have the land. And therefore, they must be annihilated. They must be annihilated just to get the land back. 
but in addition to fulfill the demand, the requirement of the Quran and the Hadith that Muhammad has issued out of his mouth. They believe that that is essential in order to fulfill the requirements of their God by the name of Allah. So if that is essential to fulfill the demands of their God, whose name is Allah, then how could George W. Bush have been correct when he stated right after the 9-11 attacks that Muslims, Jews, and Christians all worship the same God? Obviously, that's not true. They may all call themselves people of the book, but they don't all worship the same God and do not interpret the book as a whole the same. So the land belongs to God. Can Israel then parse the land in order to purportedly achieve peace or in order to fall under the, uh, shall we say, the mandate of the United Nations? No. Israel has no right, no standing, no authority to do such a thing. And yet, as we speak right now, I have in front of me the article from the Jerusalem Post, 129 nations ignore Jewish ties to the Temple Mount and call it solely Muslim. The Temple Mount solely Muslim. In other words, the Temple Mount is the very essence of the whole of Israel and the whole of Jerusalem. So to claim the Temple Mount is solely Muslim is to claim that Jerusalem is solely Muslim, is to claim that Israel is solely Muslim, and you get the point. The Jewish people have no place in Israel, Jerusalem, or the Temple Mount. Now perhaps you can understand why I wrote a book called King of the Mountain, the eternal epic and end-time battle, where he who rules the Temple Mount is deemed to rule the world. Now, Muslims aren't the only ones that intend to rule the Temple Mount or rule from the Temple Mount. The Pope intends to rule from the Temple Mount. That is the history of the papal governance of the Roman Catholic Church, the Vatican, that the Pope will ultimately rule from the Temple Mount. However, I dare say that the Antichrist himself, the counterfeit Christ, that will emerge in these end times before too long, will himself seek to rule for the Temple Mount. How do we know that? Because the Apostle Paul told us so. He said that he will march into the Temple and will declare himself God. Now you're beginning to see increasingly, if you've been listening to this program very long, you're beginning to see how all of these things tie together, how the various books that I have written tie together and help us to understand the greater panoply of God's purposes and the particular application that it has for our viewpoints, for our understanding of what is taking place so that you and I are not caught in a state of confusion, and uh, actually end up supporting the wrong ideas, the wrong causes that are contrary to God's viewpoint. We don't want to be caught into that situation, do we? 
God actually took this issue with regard to the land very personally. And that's why he said it was his alone, it was his land. Therefore, it helps us to understand why the prophet Joel, in chapter 3, I believe it is, the prophet Joel declared on behalf of God that God was going to bring the nations together into the valley of Jehoshaphat and judge them. And he told us why he was going to judge them, for how they divided his land. Not how they divided the Jews' land, how they divided his land. You see, the the meets and bounds, the legal description, so to speak, of God's land goes all the way from Lebanon down to Egypt, not including Egypt, but down to Egypt, and from the Mediterranean Sea coast all the way over to the Euphrates River. Did you know that? Israel does not currently occupy even half of that land. But they will. Why will they? Because God said so. Is anybody listening today? Do we understand the importance of the when God speaks, when God declares something? We dare not say, well, that could never happen, or that shouldn't happen because, and then we rationalize in our minds. No. What we have to do is agree with God's viewpoint. Why is that? Because he's God. You're not God. I'm not God. Benjamin Netanyahu is not God. Gaza is not God. Erdogan's not God. Putin is not God. Mr. Xi from China is not God. Biden is definitely not God. We know they're not God. There is only one God, friends, and he is God alone, fit to take the universe's throne. So let everything that breathes reserve its truest praise for God and God alone. Benjamin Netanyahu said this, came out through the Russian Times yesterday, America is next if Israel loses the war. So Netanyahu rejected any calls for ceasefire, insisting it would amount to surrender to Hamas. But that isn't the real issue. The real issue is that Hamas seeks to annihilate or destroy a people that God called by his name. He said, I've given you, I've surnamed you, I've given you your own name, I've called you Israel. He changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel as a prince with God. He said, I've surnamed you, I've called you by my name, and I've given you my land as an eternal leasehold, And I'm not going to mess around by playing games with something like Hamas or Hezbollah or Iran or all the, if all the nations of the earth come against you, I'm not going to play games with them. So in the prophet Zechariah chapter 12, he tells us very specifically that God is going to allow all the nations of the earth to come together to try to do a Hamas against Israel. They're all ultimately going to gather together and surround Jerusalem. And God himself, 
through Jesus is going to come and he's going to treat them as defiant of his authority. Now, if he's God and they're not, and they're treating Israel, the apple of his eye, disrespectfully and arrogantly and seeking to destroy them and to take over the land that God said is his, what do you think would be God's reaction to that? He's not going to take it kindly. In fact, that's putting it mildly. He's going to seek to destroy all those nations. Hmm. So you see, it's not just Hamas. Hamas is just, shall we say, the tip of the sword, of the spear. It's opening up a wound, opening up a situation, a spiritual situation, that manifests in geopolitical ways across our world. Now 40 days into the war. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Indeed, Benjamin Netanyahu is correct when he says America is next if Israel loses the war. Why is that? Because the Muslims, the radical Muslims, look at Israel as the little Satan. Iran, as the leader of that Islamic revolution, or the purported leader, claims that America is the great Satan. So they're going after the little Satan first in order to get at the great Satan. But ultimately, I want you to listen very carefully. I cannot say, thus saith the Lord on this. But I'm going to tell you that I do believe that somehow, either Islam or Islam coupled with brick nations joining together with Russia and China, Somehow, they are going to wage an attack upon the United States of America. They are going to seek to render America incapable and unable of defending Israel. So that the nations of the earth can then, without expectation of major intimidation from America, wage final war against Israel and the land. That's why Jesus himself is going to have to come in, because Israel will will be facing it is most existential moment. In other words, their very existence will be on the edge, far more so than Gaza attacking Israel on October 7th. 
There's an axis of terror, Benjamin Netanyahu said, between Hamas in Gaza, Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Houthis in Yemen, and the Iranian government. They're all Tehran's minions to bring the Middle East and the world back to the Dark Ages, and that's why Iran wants nuclear power. It has nothing to do with running their civil society. It has to do with intimidating Israel and eradicating Israel. That's their goal. It has been their goal ever since the Islamic Revolution of 1979, and it's their goal today. They have not given up that goal. So why is the United States playing footsie with all this? Now, you may, as I share some of these thoughts with you, you may become quite shocked. But here it is. A federal program intended to help religious organizations defend against terror attacks has been used by the Biden administration to give hundreds of thousands of dollars, tax dollars, to organizations that openly seek the annihilation of Jews. I'm just going to give you some examples here. Biden gave to the Flint Islamic Center there in Michigan $300,000 under this program, even as an Islamic scholar there claimed Jews, quote, literally live for the purpose of genocide, unquote. The millions of dollars have gone under the program to mosques and Islamic groups that have praised terrorists and called for the destruction of Israel. The money flows through the department, believe it or not, the Department of Homeland Security under the Nonprofit Security Grants Program. Now, bear in mind, the Department of Homeland Security came about under George W. Bush in order to defend America from radical Muslims. They're the ones that attacked America. Remember the 9-11 attack? That's why the Department of Homeland Security was formed. And now the same Department of Homeland Security is giving hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars under the program to mosques and Islamic groups that are dedicated to the destruction of Israel? That's the way it is. Imam Mustaf Kamel of the California-based uh, Masij and Asar Mosque was calling Jews a, quote, bigoted and arrogant breed of people, unquote, and praying they will, quote, suffer annihilation, unquote. Yet the organization was given $100,000 by the Biden administration. In the same way, the Islamic Center of Detroit was handed $150,000 as Imam Imran Saha appeared at a pro-Palestinian rally to announce Muslims have a fire in our hearts that will burn that state that is Israel until its demise. So he called for the eradication of Israel. The Council on Un-American Islamic Relations, a pro-Muslim action group named as co-conspirator of Hamas, even has mounted a public awareness campaign to urge Hamas and Islamic nonprofits to apply for the Homeland Security Grants. Also, the Islamic Organization of North America got $450,000, even its, as its head imam claimed Palestinians were being slaughtered by the Israeli Zionist government at a special event. He said, we stand with every resistance against Israel and every resistance against the occupation, whether it's called Hamas or Hezbollah. 
So, the intensity is growing, friends. And it's happening not just outside, not just in the Middle East, but right here in America. Right here in America. Speaking of right here in America, this report from one of our congressmen, a House resolution condemning anti-Semitism on the nation's college campuses came as the rise of actions against Jewish people had reached horrifying levels since October 7th. Now, why was this necessary? What does this tell us? It's not just the fact of anti-Semitism. It's the fact that exactly what God foretold through his prophets in the word is happening right now. In other words, this is a specific fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And it's happening for two reasons. Number one, the incredible, infuriating envy of Gentiles who despise the idea that God chose Israel the little old Israel is the apple of his eye. That's the number one motivation. The number two motivation, from God's viewpoint, is to drive Jewish people from around the world back to Israel, just as he promised he would. And it's happening right now. So this anti-Semitism, this rising anti-Semitism, is bad on the one hand, but it's biblically fulfilled, a biblical fulfillment on the other hand, to fulfill God's intentions. He promised the land to the people. And he said that he would return it in the latter days. He said, even if I need to send forth hunters and fishers or whatever, I will bring them back. So how about this report? This report came two days ago. American Jews are panic-buying firearms. Now, why would that be? Why would American Jews, who are mostly liberals, suddenly gain a newfound appreciation for our Second Amendment and are buying guns in mass on the tail ends of the Hamas terror campaign? Because they're frightened. Now they begin to realize the importance of the Second Amendment. Amazing, isn't it? what a little pressure will do to change one's thinking that comes from the abstract in a liberalized view of society and the law outside the word, the will, and the ways of God. So, the very Jews that are buying firearms are also going to be motivated or those that are not buying firearms are going to be motivated to return to Israel, to make Aliyah. And so I have in front of me the report that came out two days ago from my pastor friend David Decker in Israel, who was on this program just a few weeks ago. He said one of the big stories that's coming out of this war is the surge in Jewish people from America expected to immigrate to Israel over the coming years. Already, the number of applicants from the USA has risen sharply since this war began. Interesting. Why is this happening? 
How is it happening, friends? It's called pressure. The word pressure is the American English word that best translates what the Greek word was that was translated tribulation in the Bible. It means pressure. The Jews are feeling tribulation. It's not the great tribulation yet, but it is tribulation. Just like the French experienced tribulation in the first three years of the French Revolution. It was called the terror. But it was not yet the great terror. That is yet to come. So if you think things are tense now, as they say, you ain't seen nothing yet. Why is it important for us to understand that? Is that negative? Is that being negative? Is that being pessimistic? No, it's being biblical. Pessimism would be the idea that what God says can't happen. So if you think when God says there's going to be a rebuilt temple and you think that's impossible because it'll start World War III, you're the pessimist. You just don't believe that God is going to bring about what he said. You're a pessimist. You're a biblical pessimist. If you don't believe certain people can be saved, can uh, return to the Lord, can come to salvation because of their radical nature, maybe they're like uh, Tyler Faye Tucker, Tucker there in Texas years ago, who, the famous axe murderer, who had a glorious repentance in prison. Her life was not spared because she was under a death penalty for the wages of sin under the law. Nevertheless, she turned and was radically saved and repented. People would say that's not, that's not possible. But God says, with him, nothing is impossible, friends. Are there some things in your life right now that seem impossible? We're all seeing things like that in our families, aren't we? Remember, with God, nothing is impossible. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. There are numerous groups, numerous groups, religious and secular around the world, that have as their goal and their agenda to rule the world. Now, most of them are not going to rule the world independently. 
they will seek to join with other groups to assimilate with other groups as closely related as they can in order to be part of what they perceive to be that ultimate group that will be king of the mountain, that will rule the world from the Temple Mount. That's the goal. Satan is using these groups, both individually and collectively, to set the stage for the final battle against the God of creation and the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. If you want to understand the dynamics of that, I urge you to get a copy of my book, King of the Mountain. It's on our website, saveus.org. King of the Mountain, right there on our website. Yesterday I made a mistake, uh, and uh, the book is is uh, a twenty dollar book. Yours for fifteen dollars. For fifteen dollars, I was corrected by my uh, office manager. Uh, she took me to task for misrepresenting that. And uh, so fifteen dollars, it's still well, well, well worth the uh, the money. It will open up an understanding of our times and uh, the world and Israel and going all the way back to the beginning of creation and before that to Satan's uh, dispute with God in the mountain of God in the heavens. And uh, you will not be disappointed in getting that book. You will not. So it's on our website, saveus.org, King of the Mountain, the Eternal Epic and End Time Battle. Uh Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Also, the book Messiah. Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, will also help us all to understand the greater panoply of God's purposes and what's happening, how Satan is setting things up through various groups, religious and otherwise, quasi-religious, geopolitical and so on, around the world to become his messianic, shall we say, agents to ultimately usher in his counterfeit Christ figure. And at the same time, God, in his mercy and compassion, is delaying the coming of Christ because that he wills none should perish and that all should come to repentance. That's why God is delaying. The Apostle Peter said that, in case you were not aware of that. Get a copy of that book. Uh, the uh, Messiah. It's a $22 book. And it's still $22, or $20. $20, Messiah, on our website, saveus.org. And then also the book Antichrist, also $20. A $22 book, here's for $20 on the website. When you get more than one book, it's $5 postage and handling for the first book and $2 for each successive book, which, by the way, barely, if even that,
covers our costs because of the increase of postage. All right, now, Mr. Erdogan, who is trying to raise up and resurrect the ancient Ottoman Empire through Turkey, has this week called, in fact, yesterday, no, today, this very day, he called Israel a terror state, committing war crimes and violating international law, but saying that Hamas is not a terrorist organization. Now, he's going to be meeting in a couple of days with the uh, Chancellor of Germany. And I find that very interesting because Germany right now is having terrible problems, even though ostensibly Germany is the uh, great economic and uh, uh, commercial engine of Europe. They're having very difficult times and are suffering because of the lack of energy, oil and gas. So guess what? Germany has gone back to using coal. So-called clean energy Germany has gone back to using coal. Why? Because the European Union, led by Joseph Biden, decided to carry on this uh, attack against Russia to curtail use of Russian oil and gas. Yet Germany receives 70% of its energy historically from Russia. You can well understand why Germany is hurting. So here's Erdogan that's going to go over there to Germany and bend Germany's ear against the United States and therefore also, by definition, against Israel. And it leads me to believe that this perhaps is setting the stage early on for the uniting of the nations set forth in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The Gog and Magog War. The Jerusalem Post has said that this Israel-Hamas war is a war between good and evil. That's what the Jewish agency says, which is a uh, basically a secular organization of Jewish people. I disagree. Yes, there is good. Yes, there is evil. But it's not fundamentally a war of good against evil. It's fundamentally a war of people against God. Now, if you want to call that a a battle of good against evil, that's fine. But make sure you define evil the right way. Evil, from God's viewpoint, is to disagree with his viewpoint and conduct yourself accordingly. Evil is to disagree with God. He's God, you're not, I'm not, the nations of the world are not, no matter how proud or arrogant they may be, if they arrogate their viewpoints over what God has said, they are evil. They are proud. So, 
the Israeli-Hamas war is actually a war against the God who made and preserved Israel as a nation. That's what it really is. Not just a war of good and evil. Because if it were war, a war just of good and evil, then maybe we would have to look at Israel as ma- a major part of the problem. Why? Well, because Tel Aviv is one of the uh, homosexual centers of the world. That's evil from God's viewpoint. That's evil. So if that's why Hamas was attacking Israel, that would be one thing, but it isn't. Our problem is that we are very, very casual about our use of the word evil and good. It's unfortunate. We have exactly the same casualness in the church today. If somebody else is doing something that we don't like, then it's necessarily evil. But what if we're doing something in the church that God doesn't like? Then we don't see that as evil, do we? And so increasingly, divorce has become good, or relatively good. Some say an answer to prayer. Adultery, even serial adultery, has become acceptable. Some would say good. Some believe it's an answer to prayer in our churches. Yes, even in our evangelical churches, because as an attorney, a Bible-believing attorney, for 20 years I heard the the, uh, statements of my brothers and sisters in Christ, including pastors, justifying what God says he hates. The same is true with the practice of homosexuality in the church. You see, when Pope Francis, within the Roman Catholic Church, increasingly is normalizing, seeking to normalize and naturalize the practice of homosexuality and divorce and remarriage and transgenderism and all of that within the Roman Catholic Church, he is the one that is evil. He is the one that is arrogating his role as Pope over the Word of God. If a pastor does that, then that pastor is evil. If you do that, then you're evil. So we have to be very, very careful about what we call good and evil. Now, I have a series of articles here telling us that uh, Jew-hating bus drivers left 900 Jews stranded on the Washington, D.C. tarmac for hours so they couldn't go to the rally protesting Hamas. Talk about anti-Semitism. 900 Jews left stranded because Jew-hating bus drivers refused to take them on board and deliver them? Another article from Israel National News is telling us Hamas supporters are already residing in our neighborhoods. Barack Obama made that 
plane and ushered them in. That's one of the reasons why our borders are left open, friends. Another one announced just uh, yesterday, a New York Muslim man, he said Islam will invade every home and is the only correct religion. He said, we're done hiding, we're done, we're done being tortured and hurt and judged. This is the, this is the correct religion. This is the religion that all humanity needs to be upon, Islam, and we will not stop until it enters every home. So I want you to repeat after me. I want you to hear it in every single district. It should be, it should tremble. Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, the whole world. There is no God worthy of worship except Allah, he said, the God of the last and final prophet Muhammad. That's the viewpoint, friends. And viewpoint determines destiny. We need to, we need to uh, embrace the idea that we announce every single day on this program that our viewpoints matter. A pastor's viewpoint matters. A parent's viewpoint matters. A teacher's viewpoint matters. A Bible translator's viewpoint matters. A grandparent's viewpoint matters. It all matters to God. In the 40 days since the attack on October 7th is now revealing to a heightened extent why everything that God has said really matters. Does it matter to you? Get a copy of the book, King of the Mountain, $15. Copy of Antichrist, $20. Copy of Messiah, $20. Even a copy of Seduction of the Saints, Seduction of the Saints, one of our best-selling books ever, $15. They'll help you understand our times and perhaps even change your life. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friends, send your gifts to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't delay. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.